You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. In our last, last week's message, we talked about how in Christ we are all one. And it doesn't matter what our status is, our social class, gender, any other societal separator, we are united in Christ. And we used a couple other scriptures uh, just to kind of illustrate the fact that because we come to Christ, uh, our society, and especially at this time, Roman society, had a way of categorizing people according to wealth, according to male or female, according to slave or free, according to Roman citizen, non-Roman citizen, and the roles were prescribed. This is what you do. This is how you react to each other. And one of the most significant ones we talked about was the role of the head of the household or the paterfamilias. And the role of the paterfamilias was there'd be one person in the family, usually the oldest male, who would tell everyone, this is what we're going to do. This is how things are going to be. And so there was no deviating from that especially when it came to husband-wife relationships. It was unthinkable that a wife would have a different religion than her husband because she was often treated as the one who bore children, but there was no rights, there was no uh, citizen privileges, really. There was, she was just kind of there. And so when we're going through the scriptures today, please keep in mind that these are revolutionary instructions that Peter, and then we're also gonna touch on some things in Ephesians 5, that Paul writes where you have a wife who may have a husband who's not a believer, and she's encouraged to continue in her relationship with Christ, which would technically be in defiance of the, the head of the household decree, where if the husband's not a Christian and the wife is, the wife's not supposed to be a Christian. And Peter and Paul are both saying, you know what? Here's what you can do going forward. You can continue to be faithful to Jesus and live in such a way that perhaps your behavior will win them over, Okay. So just keep that in mind because I'm also aware that these particular passages can be used and have been at various times in history as a hammer to strictly identify or to interpret husband-wife relationships according to the person's particular agenda, okay? Anybody ever experienced something like that before? Okay, Uh so I want to be aware of that. And after I do some of the historical background, Joni's going to come up and we're going to have some real talk about husbands and wives interacting with each other. You ready? Sweetness. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Same way we were talking before, last week was about servants. Today, likewise, wives, be subject to or submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, jewel, jewelry uh, baubles, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is in, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God to used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That's just as clear as day. We don't need to say anything else on that, right? No, this would be good for us to be able to be talk about, especially because there's not a direct 
correlation between how husbands and wives and marriage was set up 2,000 years ago to the world we live in today. But it does not give us a, a free reign to chuck the Bible because we want to take what this says and we want to apply it, but we want to apply it recognizing the context that it's in and then also say, what does it look like contextually to carry out scriptural ordinances or scriptural commands in 2022? Yes? Okay, good. All right, so with that said, it's written to specific people in a specific place. And it's very important, especially when you come across a passage that addresses something like this, family relationships. It's important to visit and revisit the rest of the context or the rest of the biblical story, the rest of the narratives before we establish a core theology on something. There's a passage that talks about in a, in a different letter of Paul's where he talks about being baptized for the dead. Does anybody know what being baptized for the dead is? We have no point of reference. There's no other words on it. And yet, it's possible, and some have, created an entire theology. You know what we can do? Let's start dunking people for the, for the pe dead people in our, in our past. We'll, we'll just do that. It's like, where does that come from? Well, it says in Scripture, it's very clear. Whenever you hear the words, it's very clear in Scripture, make sure you go back and check the Scripture. I've, it, it, it's a way to paint you into a corner. It's very, it says very clearly here. And it may be very clear, but the nuances that go along with it may not be, okay? So, what we're reading, we, before we start making declarations that this is prescriptive for all time, in all places, in all years, in all, for all time in all Christianity, we want to know what, are, what, kind of what, we're, what we're doing going forward. There's a couple different passages, one in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 25, where Paul gives his instructions to Christians, for wives, husbands, kids, servants, masters, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through uh, Ephesians 6, 9. We're going to do a portion of that today. I'm going to touch on that. But just revisiting uh, 1 Peter 3. The instructions given to wives, be subject to or submit yourself to your own husband, not to men. This does not place women as second-class citizens. It's to your own husband. So even if they don't believe, they may be won without a word by the wives' respectful and pure conduct for your example. Again, I mentioned Christian wives at a time they would have a non-believing husband. This was unthinkable that a woman would step out from underneath what the head of the house, what the paterfamilias would say. And Peter is not saying you don't just suck it up, go along with whatever. He says, no, be faithful to Jesus. And as you do, hopefully that conduct will win your husband over if they're not a believer. Peter's instruction is one that Paul takes on as well, which is to be faithful to Christ. And at the same time, it's not an either or. I can only follow Jesus or I can only honor and uh, submit myself to my husband. It's I'm going to do this and I'm going to do both. I love the section where it says, do not let your adorning. There's also, I've seen it translated in other translations, do not let your beauty. The Greek word here is cosmos. K-O-S-M-O-S. Do not let your cosmos, the best translation for this is, do not allow your world to be external. And the, how I have tried to translate this is, don't allow everything that you are wrapped up in, the greatest influences you have, be on the things that focus on the outside. That does not mean you cannot do things on the outside. This has been taken as a, if you don't, ladies, wear a dress, if you apply makeup, if you do anything to your hair, you're sinning against God. 
And you can say, that's silly. Yes, it is, but I can tell you that it happens in Christian churches. Yes? So we better know what this says. Don't let your world simply be external. Don't let it focus on the fancy hair. It's okay to have fancy hair. Don't let it be focused all about the jewelry. But it's okay to dress nice and to accessorize. I've got a wife and a daughter, and they accessorize. The area where my wife sits and where she does her thing in the, in the bathroom, the vanity area, which is a funny word, it's, <laughs> there's things hanging on the wall, and it's like after 33 years of marriage and 34 years of relationship to see the stuff that has been accumulated and how the combos go together, you know what? I wear the pants I wear because the belt's still in them. <laughs> you laugh, but that's exactly it. And I have five black polo shirts and a couple black... And why do I do that? Because I need help. And that's the easiest thing for me to do. I used to, whenever my wife would... She'd come up, and I hadn't seen her yet because I leave before she does on Sunday mornings. Almost every time I'd say, babe, you look great today. And she says, will you stop commenting on my clothes? And it's like, well, I'm not trying to comment on my clothes, on your clothes, but first time I've seen you today, and wow, okay? She's like, well, knock it off. It's like... Okay, someone else says you look nice. Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> but that's not, don't let that be your world. Don't let the focus be just on what's happening out here. Instead, let your world, let the main thing you invest in be the hidden person, your heart for a beauty that does not fade. That would be a gentle and quiet, a tranquil, peaceful spirit because God deems this very precious. The reason behind it, this is how it worked back in the old days. This is how it worked with Abraham and Sarah. This is how it worked with the patriarchs, where the wife related to her husband in this particular way. And by the way, ladies, you are her daughters if you do this. She, Peter's saying this, there's a history of how this stuff works. And we see somebody like Sarah, who was beautiful, who did like to adorn herself, who did like to put on things on the exterior, but there was still things in the relationship with Abraham where she was able to interact with him and to navigate through that in a way that was life-giving. And that's what Peter is challenging. He's encouraging the, the women who he's speaking to right here. I love words. I, I, I wrestled with this the first couple times I went through it. Do good and don't fear anything frightening. It's like, well, my college professor would say, well, just go to the Greek. And I did. You know what it says? Don't fear things that are frightening. Okay, so don't be scared of scary stuff. But then you start to get into, this is kind of one of those more in the vernacular I think on the think on the slide up here I said don't give way to fear when you face scary stuff. Ultimately, if our world is wrapped up solely in what's going on out here and not what's happening in here, when the scary stuff comes, it's going to be even that much more scary. This is where one of my favorite sayings, not because I like to say it, but because I found it to be true, is when we're going through hell in our life, when we're experiencing the things of the worst things of this life, the death and the loss and the sickness and the abandonment and the broken relationships, and everything in your life is shaking, if what we have in here is solid, if we built our house upon the rock that is Christ and his word, we will remain standing. Our faith is made 
for difficulty. We don't always get to feel it when things are beautiful and wonderful and awesome. But if we build our life on the external, on that which is only seen out here and nothing in here, we will come crashing when the scary stuff hits. You want to remain standing through the scary stuff? Invest yourself in the interior. Okay. Husbands, live with your wives with understanding, with compassion, and actually knowing her and treat her with respect. Show honor to her as the weaker or delicate or fragile vessel because she is co-heirs with you of the grace of life from Christ. And you need to do this so that your prayers will not be hindered. Get this. Guys, don't forget just because Roman society tells you that this person is basically a child-bearing piece of property. This is not, I mean, seriously. It says, this is actually a co-heir of the grace of Christ. So you had better treat this co-heir with respect and honor. Joni and I have a saying. When it comes to, if you wanted to kind of know what I'm like using, you know, the, the things you eat with, I am Tupperware. I am plasticware. I am nothing special, and I don't mean that in a, in a denigrating way. My wife is fine china, and fine china is of infinite more beauty and value than the Tupperware. It's also more susceptible to be broken. Often, gen, uh, generically speaking, or stereotypically speaking, speaking. Now I'm getting into the. I'm going to be fixing to get to this one in just a second. Um, generalizing, a wife is made to be a person who is a responder. That is not a second-class citizen. It is a responder to her husband. And husbands, what we see here is that if you are harsh to your wife, you can cause her to break or to shrivel up or to withdraw into a, a, a ball. One of the things I learned, growing up with three younger brothers, volume didn't matter. Intensity of conversation did not matter. What mattered is who gets the last word and who gets the last food on the table. That's what mattered. Taking that same attitude towards my wife didn't work. <laughs> she does not appreciate having conflict for the sake of having conflict. And just, you know, my volume would start to go up. I mean, my brother is a lawyer. My other brother is a salesman. Um, we can talk. And we can talk quick. And it's rapid fire. And there's interruptions. And it's boom, boom, boom. My wife is like a crockpot when it comes to thinking. Very good. But she needs time to reflect. And when I would come in and give her the machine gun, boom, 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 boom. What's your thought on that? And she's like, let me pick myself up off the floor. If a woman, it can be a guy too, but if a woman is raised in a home where there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of yelling, what they can often have develop in their life and a way of responding is to withdraw because what they hear, the, the brain does not shut off, oh, I can't process this. The brain takes all incoming, um, any input as Charlie Brown's teacher. Instead of it being articulate words, it goes to wah-wah, wah-wah, wah-wah. And all, it's like, I just got to get out of here. It's a fight or flight trigger. And that's not because, well, that's just women. They're crazy. That's what people say to get away from having to address the fact that they may have done something to antagonize and bring this response about. 
the emotional response that women are stereotypically supposed to, well, I can't, women are just out of control. You know how many doorknob men I know who are so out of touch with their emotions that they would deny all of it? How you doing? I'm fine. Everything's good. No problem at all. You just lost a leg. No, it's good. Because I did. He was bugging me anyway. Now I can just buy one shoe. I don't need two. It's like living in denial instead of acknowledging the reality of what, what it's being experienced. You know, thinking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail when the, the, the black knight's fighting against our hero and he cuts off his Well, man, you're, you're, you're suffering now. It's just a flash ruin. Come back here. It's, it, we can be so obtuse. We can be so off in how we deal and interact with our wives and get upset because they know all the emotions. What? I know three. And I'm hungry. That's, that's a great emotion. It's like, that's not it. I'm so thankful for our partnership with Zephyr Wellness and being able to have you know, Jake go through and teach us about how we can access those and process those and feel those. Husbands, if you are harsh with your wife, Jesus will not listen to your prayers. That is the promise of God. Be gentle with your wife. You will have to apologize and ask forgiveness and repent. Repent means to turn the way I'm thinking and acting and interacting and to change it to something else. One of the things I so appreciate about my wife is that she has extended grace and forgiveness to me. And she knows even in the midst of my worst, she says, you always keep trying. Guys, don't ever quit trying. Don't ever quit attempting to live the best that you can to bring glory to God by the way you interact with your spouse. If you're not married right now, this is not irrelevant to you. It's very important that you have a, a, a life grasp. I was going to say a death grip, but a life grasp upon what you can be expecting for marriage because what people expect for in marriage these days is a lot different than what God says you can expect for in marriage, which is to be un- two coming one in, in one flesh under him, walking together, bringing glory and honor to him by the way that you live. Is that okay? Okay. All right. So now I want to read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33. And you get ready. Come on up, babe. Okay. Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so the wife, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. 
couple things I want to touch on here. When, when you see headship, immediately you can start to think, oh, that means he's the boss. You know, it's like, it's like the head. The word here, again, in the Greek, has a connotation. It would be like saying, where are the headwaters of the Mississippi River? It's, you're not saying, where's the boss of it? It's like, from what does it originate? Well, it originates here. Where does the Nile River originate? Well, a river, it originates in, I think it's Victoria Falls up in Africa. It's, it's there. Where, according to Scripture, did Eve come from? From Adam. Okay, so a husband is the head or the, the headwaters of the wife, just like Christ is the headwaters of the church. From where does the church come from? Christ. That's what he's trying to talk. He's not trying to say, let me just establish a hierarchy here. Who's the boss here? We just need to know who, when the buck stops, who's going to stop with. Okay? You go to the head. You go to the boss. Okay? That's it. Enough said. Any questions? (laughs) It's so important that there's no instruction ever to a husband, tell your wife to submit. Get her under control. I've heard both of those things within the context of church leadership. You need to get your wife under control. It sounds better when you say it with a funky accent because it doesn't sound nearly as bad as it does when you hear somebody in a sophisticated way say, can you do something about your wife? Her opinions. So inconvenient. And it's, it's not funny, but it's funny a little. But it's not funny when it's you. Ladies, if you have experienced that, Anywhere, but especially within the context of church, I want to ask for your forgiveness. Because that is a misapplication of Scripture, and it was following a bad agenda. That is not what God intended. That is not how He would say, and this is represents Christ in the church, because that's what Jesus does, right? Hey, you submit to me. Everybody bow at my feet. No, that's not what it says. Philippians chapter 2, the entire chapter is when Jesus came to earth, he did not consider his equality with God something to be insisted upon, but instead he took the form of a servant and chose to obey God in everything, even unto death. What's the question that Jesus asked more than any other question while he was walking on the earth? What can I do for you? What freaked the disciples out more than anything else? When he washed their feet, doing the job that was the lowest of the low on the totem pole of all the jobs servants do. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. I think that's harder than what women are asked to do. I could go through the list. In a wedding, Andrew and Tiffany Carr's wedding many years ago, 2011, Going through, I had a list, you know, wives, you're supposed to submit yourself to your husband and to respect him. And then husbands, what are you supposed to do? Love your wife, use your own body. Don't be harsh with your wife. Uh, make sure that you care for your wife as the, the weaker vessel. Treat her as a co-heir. And the list is like this long. I'm not saying it's not fair, but in Scripture, in, eight, in Proverbs 18, it doesn't say who, whatever wife finds a husband finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. But it sure says that about a, a husband finding a wife. I mean, ladies, this is not news to you. It's like <laughs> the attack on women in our society is profound and multi-layered. God says the crowning act of creation is woman. 
done. This is it. Our relationship with God is reflected in our relationship with our spouse. Yeah. So, so Louie asked me, um, what does it look like to be a godly woman, a godly wife? In your way, can you share? And I said, okay, I can do this. And um, so to be a godly woman, a godly person, and this is going to go into the context of a wife, but I have to say no to my flesh. First and foremost, no to my flesh. What does my flesh want to do? It wants to manipulate. It wants to be stingy. It wants to compete. It wants to, I'll show you, I'm going to hold a grudge. It wants to throw fits. It wants to scream. My flesh wants to lie. It wants to cheat. It wants physical lust. It wants material lust. It wants to stick it to you. It wants to ignore you and let you figure it out yourself. My flesh has a hard heart. It can be mean. It can be thoughtless. And it can undermine. And that's what I have to say no to. Thank you. <laughs> Seriously. The only way I can do that is I can crucify my flesh to the cross. I have to die to myself daily. This isn't a one-time thing. I have to die daily to that flesh that goes screaming at me, that wants it my way. And I have to submit myself to the lordship of Jesus Christ what happens when you submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ? That changes everything. That's when I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me and to work in me and to control and guide me and lead me to all righteousness, lead me to truth, lead me to life. That's what I, I do. So, I was 15 years old, and I was in high school. I started dating. And, wow, dating's hard. Dating's painful. Learned a lot of lessons. Very young in life. By 16, I had some life experience. And I got to a point, 16 years old, sweet little Joni, I spoke something over myself. I said, no man will ever get the satisfaction of my love. And I believed that. And I said it over myself, and it was a lie. It came straight from the pit, but I didn't know it because I was walking in my flesh. It sounded good. It sounded strong. It sounded great. What I did, it's called a stronghold. I spoke it over myself, and I believed it, and I opened a door for the enemy to mess with me later. That can be by something you, we say. It can be by something we do, something we do and say, someplace we go, something we see, 
something we participate in. Strongholds and opening those doors can come through many ways. Words are powerful. At 17, I was given an invitation and an opportunity. Somebody was praying for me. Somebody is praying for you. And God has put somebody on your heart to pray for. Because we speak salvation over the greater Reno, Tahoe area. We speak salvation over the people we know. We want them to come to the hope of Jesus Christ. So at 17, I was given an opportunity and an invitation into a community of people that love Jesus and wanted to serve him with their whole heart. I began to dive into God's word. I began to soften. Not only was my hard heart, the physical look on my face and how I dressed and the way I wore my makeup and things, I was hard. Hard, but not hard enough to say no to this opportunity because I was hurting My way was not working, and I knew there was another way, and I wasn't choosing the right way. That might be some of us here today. This is when I submitted myself to Christ. I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my pride. Forgive me thinking I can do this on my own. I need you. I want to come under submission to your lordship. Summer 88, 17 years old. Summer 89 comes around, and I met Louie in summer of 88. And here I find myself this last year of life learning how to submit under the lordship of Jesus and what that means and I'm going to talk about that in a second, through Joni. And I find myself saying, I willingly say yes to you, Louie. I said I do to you. Yep. I put myself under his covering. I put myself under him. This was God's idea. This was not man's idea. This is not our idea. This is God's idea of how he knows how this works. So he laid it out for us in scripture so that we could read it, apply it, and live it. And I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm 18. You're 19. Now we get to live this out, saying no to our flesh and getting to live out this with my husband and treating him with love and respect, and I'm going to go into those things in just a second really fast, over myself. I'm now choosing him over myself. So what this looks like now, as an 18-year-old wife who's wanting to operate under God's lordship, Jesus' lordship, under under my husband's covering as a partner, a co-heir, with him, it now looks like patience. 
It looks like long-suffering when we're frustrated with each other. It looks like forgiveness, not holding on to things, not needing to be right. It looks like kindness, extending kindness when I don't feel like it. It looks like being helpful and sharing. Do you know how many years it took us to share a meal? It took us years. We had to relearn how we functioned as a, as a team, as a husband and a wife. Yeah, that, that means to share food on each other's plates. <laughs> but shares. And it's significant because it's like, this is mine. Can I have a bite? No. If you wanted it, you should get your own. This is, this is brother 101. Don't touch my stuff. Not my brother. That's right. She wants a bite. Everything I have is yours. Don't touch my food. This is true. And those were real fights, by the way. How many fries did you eat? To be faithful to him. To endure and persevere through tough times. To be prayerful. To be praying for him. For us. To speak lovingly and encouragingly to him and about him. To be dependable, to say what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it, I'm going to follow through. That I will be there for you in the good, the bad, the ugly. To be trustworthy in words and actions. To be truthful and respectful. To let go of the fight. That was the hardest thing for me to do because I wanted to be so right. That's pride. It's so hard to surrender my identity, myself, to a man that I love and I trust. But I am under the lordship of Jesus Christ and I want to submit and no longer live for myself, but live for us. So we're, as a young couple, we're putting God first, meaning we're focusing on God, our marriage. We're doing the things we know how to do. We're dying to ourselves. We're putting each other first. And we get to practice being led by the Spirit with each other. Isn't that funny? How we are living as a Christian and we get to do this with everybody else. Now we have somebody in our own bed, on our, in our own bathroom, in our own space in the kitchen, in our car. Louie drove my car all summer. That was really hard. He wanted to change the radio stations. But we're learning to do this with each other. So about five years in, our physical and emotional intimacy was challenging. It was poor. It felt like, have you ever heard this? We never are on the same page. We never have enough time. We never. This isn't, this isn't going to work today. 
this was a good one right here. Never a good time. There's never a good time to touch or to talk with each other. It felt like this intimacy was being challenged. And I didn't know what was going on. Because we're doing, the, we're doing the things we think we're supposed to be doing. And we're not giving up. And Louis said that. And I thought that was great. He doesn't even know what I'm going to say. And he said, we never stopped trying. We never quit. We always kept going. We always kept risking. Then one night, when frustration was at an all high, pain was at an all high, desperation was at an all high for peace between us. Lou said to me, remember what you used to say? This is about five years later from when I was 16. I'm now 21. Maybe I'm 22. And I said, yeah, I know what I used to say. I will never let a man have the satisfaction of my love. At that very moment, I knew that I knew that I knew that the Holy Spirit revealed something through my husband that I couldn't see and I didn't remember until that prompting. I entrusted myself to Lou. I submitted myself to that, and I repented. I said, I am so sorry for speaking death, for speaking a lie over myself that has affected us because we're one. We're one flesh. I repented, and immediately the walls went down. I'm not saying it wasn't easy. It did get easier, but immediately the hardness, the hardness of my heart melted. My, our intimacy emotionally, our conversation, physically, it wasn't tense anymore. It wasn't a challenge. It wasn't difficult. There was time. There was opportunity. I wasn't hard anymore. To me, that's what it looks like to ongoingly. We're 33 years into this. We're still learning. We're still revisiting these things. Some things are easier. As you get older, you get wiser, and you recognize things quicker. Hopefully. Hopefully. You receive. You hear. You have patience. It's not about yourself anymore. You've gained that wisdom and that life experience. There's a trust So, as Christ followers, we submit ourselves unto the Lord, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then, as a husband and wife, we come together. And I willingly, as his wife, come under him and allow him to cover me and speak into my life and my heart, knowing he wants the best for me. If we let Ephesians 5.21, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for God, be the thing that guides all we do, we will not have the butting heads where we're both trying to be the boss and both trying to be right and both trying to get the last word in. 
instructions to wives condensed from Scripture. Submit yourself to your own husband like the church does to Christ. Love your husband and respect him. To husbands, love your wife like Christ loves the church, gave himself up for her. Love her unconditionally, selflessly, completely, all the time without reservation. Love your wife as you love yourself and lovingly care for her and do not be harsh with her. Love and contend for an environment in your marriage so she can become the woman God intended her to be. Love your wife, be considerate of her, and treat her with respect. Under no circumstances, ladies, does submit yourself to your husband mean if you're experiencing physical, emotional, sexual, mental, relational abuse, that just just try and bear up underneath it. You can navigate through any healing God wants to do in the relationship from a safe distance. It is not okay to use this to submit yourself. It'll be okay. One of the things that happens when we, we have 30 women who are employed at our Little Lights Preschool and get to hear stories of, well, I went to this church and my husband was abusing me. And they told me, just, you know what scripture says, it's very clear. Submit yourself to your husband. It's not rare, gentlemen. It's wrong. That is not okay. And don't let anyone tell you it is. What do we do with this? I'd ask you what stands out to you about what you heard today. What are the areas that are most difficult for you to navigate? Where's an area that you recognize that you or we, you and your spouse, need a Holy Spirit transformation? One of the best ways to build intimacy together is to pray. With your eyes open. Pray with each other. If Joni and I are going to pray together, I need to clarify. She will go for an hour. And it's like, this is not an hour prayer. This is a couple minutes, okay? It's like we're getting ready. It's like if you're getting ready to eat, let's, let's pray for a second. It's like, Lord, I thank thee for the bounty which you have set before us. I thank you for the cows that I've gave their life. Yes, but better. so it's just to clarify it. It's not, it's like, guys are like, what am I getting myself in for? It's like, it's okay to start with a couple seconds of blessing each other. I bless this woman. I bless her with life. I bless her with confidence and trust and respect and belief in you and belief in yourself, Lord Jesus. It may be that in your relationship, there are patterns that have been established that need help being broken. We believe that when we pray, God will act, but he just doesn't always fix it like that. There is often a process, and that could be counseling. That could be therapy. One of the things that in growing up within the church, like, well, I prayed about it. It's done, right? Um, let me tell you, I've had several surgeries on this shoulder. I prayed a lot about it. I had to go through a process. And there came a point where I destroyed my rotator cuff. And there is no more rotator cuff. And for the rest of my life, I will be able to use my arm, but the strength in it is much less than it would have been. I've got scars, and I've got issues with it, but it works. And it may be that you've got scars in your marriage relationship. You can think, it's it's just too far gone. Do whatever it takes Whatever, it's therapy, it's going to counseling, it's meeting with other people who belong to Jesus. Because you can say, well, what's happened to me in my past doesn't affect me. I tell you, that's baloney. It has a great effect. You will carry it forward because that is the law of the jungle. That is the law of life. What has happened to you goes on to your resume. Not just the stuff that we like that happened, but the every single thing.
as we go forward, you can know that there is nothing too difficult for Jesus. And I speak that over you. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you are the one who brings healing and transformation. You make all things new. I pray that you would bring newness and restoration where it needs to happen. I thank you, Lord, that you would bring a strengthening and encouraging where that needs to happen. I pray that you would bring softness of hearts and forgiveness and grace and a tenacity to work through whatever needs to be worked through. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Numbers chapter 6, verse 22 through 27 says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you as you go. There's going to be some people in the back next to the trellis available to pray with you. If something's come up, you want prayer. Anyway, have a great rest of your Sunday. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.